heroes. Who doesn't like a good hero story? The other day I saw in social media a picture of all the iterations of Batman. From the 1940s to today and it was awesome to see the difference in the portrayal of the character. And how about Superman, right? From George Reeves to Christopher Reeves to Tom Welling in Smallville to Henry Cavill and now David Corrin Swift. You might know that I'm a big Superman fan, right? <laughs> right, Kal-El? He knows. Second name is Kal-El. <laughs> um, so we all love a good hero story. A hero is someone who does something noble and sacrificial that benefits others. And we see heroes in movies, in TV, and in real life. And how about female superheroes, right? I mentioned a couple of male superheroes, but how about female superheroes? Like Wonder Woman and Supergirl, and if you love the X-Men, Rogue and Phoenix and Captain Marvel and so on, right? Comic books and Hollywood are full of great female heroes. And the Bible also has stories of women that are considered heroes. Women led by God, save God's people. Women that spread the message of the gospel. Women that were essential for the ministry of the church. And even today, we see women that are led by God, doing wonderful things in their communities and the world. Women serving the Lord passionately through ministries, including clergy ministry. And we are blessed that the United Methodist Church affirms women in ministry and their leadership. And I am married to a wonderful woman that served the Lord with all her heart. Also, a clergywoman. And today, as we begin the Heroes of the Faith series, we are reminded that God will invite anyone to serve his greater purposes. Today we go to the Old Testament, to the seventh book in the Bible, to learn a little bit about a hero, a hero named Deborah. Deborah, the only female judge and the only named prophet in the book of Judges. Married woman, a woman that was considered mother in Israel. And according to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 18, a prophet is one worthy of speaking on behalf of God. And out of the five judges mentioned in this book, Deborah is the only woman and with the distinction of prophet and judge. You see, a judge is a charismatic leader who rises to lead during times of trouble, and it is also a national military leader. Judges were more than just legal arbitrators in ancient Israel. They often served as military generals, and they were seen as rulers over the loosely connected 12 tribes. But their primary role was to remind the people of God that they were indeed the people of God. So the book of Judges follows an interesting period in the life of Israel. You see, Israel lived in a difficult cycle. 
they followed God's law, and then they turned from it, fell into sin, were oppressed, and then they begged for a deliverer. And God raised a deliverer, a judge, and God's people would live in peace and harmony for a while until the cycle started again. So you see the cycle, right? Everything is at peace and harmony because they are following God's law. Then they turn away from God and sin. Then they get oppressed. And then they beg for mercy and deliverance. And God raised a judge who saved God's people and brought a time of peace. And then it goes over and over. And the book of Judges have at least five periods, right, of five judges. Now, the beautiful thing about these stories is that when Israel fell back to the old, unhealthy, and unfaithful habits, God was waiting not to punish, but to send a helper. Someone who could remind them who they were, who would teach and lead them, and give them a time of peace and security. So as we connect with Deborah's story today, we see that the cycle is going, right? God's people forgot about the ways of God. And as the people forgot the ways of God, they experienced oppression under the heavy hand of the Canaanite king, Jabin. So the people cried out to God, and God heard their cries. And here comes Deborah. Deborah, who held court under the palm trees, who offered judgment between conflict as well as spoke prophetic wisdom in military battle. Deborah, who made fair decisions, resolving legal disputes among God's people, whose wisdom extends beyond the land. One day, the wisdom of the Lord rests upon her, and she takes the authority to share that with others. And as the primary military leader for Israel, she kept her eye on the broader picture, right? She saw the threat of jabbing against Israel long before others recognized it. So she acted decisively. Summoning Barak, a commander in Israel, to go and meet the threat. She shares with Barak the vision of military victory God has given her. But you know what Barak did? He hesitated. And he says, I will do it. But if you go with me. You know what they always said? Next to a man, there's a great woman. Yeah. I'm behind, next to it. Amen. Next to it. Maybe sometimes in front of him. Yeah. Sometimes Yaya go in front of me because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, Jaden knows. So, Barack told Deborah, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to do this. So, as the battle approaches, Barack is again scared and says, are you sure about this? Are you sure about God's vision? And Deborah assures Barack that God's presence will be with them. And she promises to accompany Barak into battle, but declares that
that the Lord will give victory into the hands of a woman. Her presence is enough to give courage to Barak and his soldiers, and they drive the enemy back. But Barak's victory is not given into Deborah's hands. You see, as the king of the Canaanites retreats, he decides to seek refuge in the tent of his friend Heber the Canaanite. And there was Heber's wife, Jael. Now, the Kenites are, are, are in relation of Moses' father-in-law. So, Jael offers him hospitality, but she wasn't an Israelite. So, Sisera has something to drink and a place to rest. And when all is at rest, Jael drives a tent peg through his skull. Oh, I beg you didn't saw that coming. Right out of the Game of Thrones. Right out of a psycho movie, right? But she fulfills the prophecy that victory of battle will be through the hands of a woman in an unexpected, ironic, and maybe morally questionable way. And then we go to chapter 5. This all happens in chapter 4 of the book of Judges. I go... This summer, if you want something to read and you want to see something interesting, now that the actors and the writers are on strike <laughs> and we're praying for them and hopefully they get, you know, justice for what they want for, maybe go read the book of Judges. Interesting. And in that story, especially in the chapter 5, we'll see the song of prayer. God's greatness and how God moved through God's people. A song of rejoicing, of giving glory to God and victory. And that chapter, that song of rejoicing invites us to see where the victories of God are taking place. Those are three keys that I want you to remind today. I invite you to see where the, God, the victories of God are taking place in your life. Because God is present to our needs and struggle. Right? First key, God is present to our needs and struggles. Israel was passing through a difficult time. And God, in the book of Judges, we see raising up leaders to rescue his people. The second key is that God uses us to fight the good fight together in community. Barak did not want to go into battle without Deborah. Deborah agrees to go to the front line of the war. She brings confidence to the, Isra to the Israelites. Jael did her part. So God uses us through his Holy Spirit in and through us to bless other people. But we cannot do it alone. That is what the church is for. When the church comes together and starts serving together, start blessing people together, we can experience how God uses us to fight the good fight. The third key is that no matter what happens, God will win the battle. Because God partners with humanity, with those who are willing to say yes to serve God's purposes. Something that I love about scripture 
especially is that we know the end of the story. At the end of all, brothers and sisters, God wins. Right? No matter what happens in our life, no matter the high moments and the low moments, the mo no matter the moments of joy and the difficult, at the end of the day, God wins. His love reigns in your life and the life of others. So, just remember that. God is always present. God uses us to fight the good fight. And God will win the battle. At the end, the Lord reigns. So Deborah plays her part. Barak plays his part. Jael played her part. God played and always does his part. So what is your part today? What is your part to play in God's redeeming work? Maybe you have felt a situation stirring in your heart. It could be a situation in your life, in the church, or the community. Maybe God is calling you to stand up and offer yourself for his purpose. But sometimes we imagine that God only works through the confident, the well-accomplished, and knowledgeable. So when we sense this tug of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to go and do something, to say yes to God's greater purposes, our minds start working and we tell ourselves, oh, we cannot do that. We cannot help. We don't have enough. I'm probably not tall enough or strong enough or young enough or comforting enough. I cannot pray quickly. And we lose confidence. And we forget that God is calling us to do our part. When we sense that nudge of the Holy Spirit, it's because God knows who we are and what we have. And he just knows that all he wants us to do is to say yes so we can do our part. Sometimes we assume that we're not worthy in the eyes of God. That God will not use us. And we carry assumptions. We have assumptions about us. And we have assumptions about people. Right? And sadly in the world, we have assumptions and say, well, this person is, is good, but he's not good enough for this position. And he's not good enough to do this. And we let our sexism and racism and homophobia and anxiety about ourselves and others take over our assumptions. But God is calling us to love and to know that all are called to be part of his redeeming work. How often we are sure that we can anticipate who God will and will not use who God will and will not call. Spoiler alert. God does what he wants. He's not limited by our assumptions. God partnered with Deborah, with Barak, and with Jael. You may consider them lacking by human standards to be ideal candidates to lead the people of faith. But that's how God works. 
And God continues to partner with people every day. You know, in my life, I have experienced hurtful commentary about assumptions people made about me. When I 18 years old, I went to tell my pastor, I love him. I was talking to him the other day. I'm praying to him because I just found out he's, he's dealing with cancer. So we were talking, we were praying. He was asking, how's your ministry going? But when I, when I was 18 years old, I told my pastor, pastor, I have this nudging to go into ministry. His reaction was like, well, he stayed silent for a moment. And I went there looking at him. I'm expecting like, all right, let me help you. He says, well, let's, let's pray about it. I understand why he said that, right? Because he was very uh, weary of just pushing somewhere into ministry because he wanted them to succeed, right? But he always tell everybody, if God calls you, he will back you up. But as long as I went to the SPRC and said, I have a calling, and people were saying, are you sure, you know, I don't think you're ready for this. You know, pastors, uh, they die of hunger. That's what they told me. And you're used to a good life, you know, your mom has a good job. You're not ready for it because you're, you're not going to get money out of it. And I told them, I'm not into for the money. I mean, to, to serve. Assumptions. But then I got my first appointment and I went to the SPRC meeting to see if I was a fit. And I will always remember this man. He is in God's glory today. But I will never forget him. I was just 22 years old. And he looked at me and said, who are you to be a pastor of the Methodist Church in Puerto Nuevo because Puerto Nuevo was a big church and he was like how come a 22 year old kid can be an associate pastor be with the main pastor the senior pastor here and it was a very difficult SBRC meeting at the end of the day they said well we don't have an option he's a fit Three or four months later, he came and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have trusted God. You see, in my life, I have passed through situations of body shaming and problems with my age, with my race, with my clothing. If you know me already, you see me with joggers and T-shirt and sneakers, Right? The only time I use clergy shirt and nice dress pants is on a Sunday. And I sometimes do it for you, church, because there are days I want to come in a jogger and a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm honest. <laughs> but there was a church that I used to wear jeans and a polo shirt. But, you know, I like my jeans sometimes. I don't care about the seams, you know. And there was this person who said, oh, those jeans look so baggy and so... You know, a pastor has to be with tie and, and long sleeve shirt. And I was like, what? In 90 degree water? But body shaming, problems with my clothing. Sometimes that we focus more on that and what God can do in our lives. 
And this is me that I am a man. You don't want to know what women pass in the church. You want to know what women pass in the church? Talk to a clergy woman. I don't know about Sandy if she has the situations, but I know about Yaya. The hurtful commentary of clothing, of hairstyle, of shoe wearing, of makeup. Churches that today do not want women in ministry. Churches that today are saying women cannot be pastors. Churches that today say, if you put a women pastor in the pulpit, I will not be part of that church. And this is the Methodist church. I'm not talking about other churches. This is the Methodist church. People that do not want to partner in ministry with other people. Because of who they are, how they look like, or who they love. Thank God that God doesn't look into that, right? That's us. God focuses on what he wants to do and who he wants to partner. He, does, he just calls us to serve. He will never look into how we talk or how we act and what we do. He just requires a heart. Everything else is negotiable. Again, I'm sad. I'm grateful to be a Christian in the United Methodist Church. Even though we have our growing pains, even though we are still learning to be more about Jesus, even though you may hear, oh, you're in the United Methodist Church, you can say yes. It is a blessing to be part of the United Methodist Church. Even though we have our growing pains and you see that some congregation are saying, I cannot be part of the United Methodist Church anymore. Personally, me, Jason, I am grateful to be a clergy member and a Christian in the United Methodist Church. Because it is a church that is still wrestling, but wants to be a place where all are welcome. It is a community that serves. The other day, Wayne and I were talking in VBS, and Wayne was sharing of a time he did uh, gains in the Mott Hall, but the focus was to highlight all the ministries and missions that the church were doing. Why, Wayne? You remember that? Umcor, right? All the things Umcor was doing, and at the end of the night, the church was going to decide where to send an offering towards. Examples like Umcor and, and nothing but net to the people of Africa and a thousand people in the youth conference ignite and rebuilding homes after Hurricane Sandy that you experienced in Hurricane Ida. Purchasing a plane for missionaries to deliver supplies in the Congo. And the list goes on and on of what the church is doing every day. None of this could have been achieved by one person. It took all of us through our offerings, through our gifts, through our talents, through our shared ministries, to bless other people. So what is God calling you to do today? 
Maybe it's to share with a neighbor or someone what the church is doing. Maybe it's to share an invitation. Maybe it's to share the Bible study that you are reading or the devotional book that you are doing. Maybe it's to silence your inner critic. What is God calling you to do today? Maybe it's to relinquish your grip on assumptions about others and open up to the movement of the Holy Spirit. We are not perfect. We are still growing and maturing and God is still doing a work. I always say, God, the work you're doing in my life, I know you will end it the day I go with you. Because every day I am learning something new. Because we're humans. But when we open our eyes to what God can do in our lives, then maybe we can ask ourselves, God, what, is you, what are you calling me to do? I want to partner with you in your redeeming work in the world. What can I do? Maybe the simplest thing, and you say, no, I, that's so simple. Maybe that's what God needs. Maybe pray. Maybe serve. Maybe share with someone what God is doing in your life. So think about this week. How can you be a hero? By partnering with God in his redeeming work. What you can do. And I know that if you listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will guide you to see what you can do. Amen?